It's time to talk to you, my RPG crew. It's okay, I won't carry on. Uh, any rate, I am here to tell you a bunch of news, and it's gonna be a bunch, because I was sick last episode, as you may recall, when I tried to record this section, and I told you nothing. I mean, I'm sure you've gone and figured it out all for yourself, but whatever, I'm gonna tell you about it, so deal with it. So I've got 27 tabs open, there's 27 items, so let's... Let's, let's do this. Let's get it done. Tina Ola has been working diligently as ever on Crowdfunding Chronicles, and we got three new games to talk to you about. All three games have been funded. Creature Keeper, Book of Travels, and Path of the Midnight Sun. All look super slick, full of love and style. I'm particularly intrigued about Book of Travels. Anyways, if you haven't been keeping up with Crowdfunding Chronicles, go see these gems. They're coming out sometime in the future. They've got funded, so that's, that's awesome. Okay, next. Alright, this next one is a feature that is possibly not super relevant, I guess, now because Pokemon Sword and Shield's been out for a while, but still, it's a great read, so go check out the team's uh, first initial thoughts about the latest release in the Pokemon franchise. Next feature is one you've probably seen on the website already, RPG fans, top 25 games of the 2010s. Zach Wilkerson organized the team and we put out this wonderful feature that rates, based on a somewhat complex voting system, what we felt were the best games of this past rough decade decade it all depends you you have opinions on decades that's fine anyways it's a great read a lot of cool games in there some that i have played some that i haven't and i am excited to explore more of them this last bit is kind of a feature kind of not caitlin argero says continue to play final Fantasy 14 shadowbringers surprising nobody and the patch uh 5.1 vows of virtue deeds of cruelty came out not too long ago now and she's been kind of chronicling her adventures throughout Eortia, or now, um, I forget where it is now that they go to. Uh, anyways, the new lands and uh, all of her uh, adventures with the new updates and added content are chronicled in this kind of feature review. So go check out her uh, continued journey. Alright, on to reviews. There's 13 of them. Let's, let's rapid fire this. Jonathan Logan, who's on this episode, reviewed Return of the Obra Dinn, and he really liked it. Nathan Lee talked about Little Town here on the episode a while ago. Uh, if you didn't figure it out, he really didn't like it. Bob Richardson played Sparklight, and that one also was pretty humdrum. Seven Scarlet. Seven, wh whatever, however you say it. Seven Scarlet. I'm going to go with that, because that's probably what it actually is, and I'm probably trying to make it too complicated. Anyways, Audra Bowling reviewed it. She thought it was pretty, pretty good. Uh, above average? Slightly below average? No, it's above average. I'd say above average. That's what we're going with. Hey, last episode, Alana was on, and she spoke about Shenmue 3, and also thought it was kind of above average. Bob Richardson really liked Disco Elysium, so did the Game Awards. No surprise that it's RPG fan editor's choice. I should probably stop yelling. I'm going to chill it out now. I guess I'm just excited to get through these. Anyways, Lisa, the painful. Zach Wilkerson took that on. Seemed also painful to play, I guess. Romancing Saga 3 was remastered. Jonathan Logan played it. He talks about it on this episode. He did not like it. And another great Audra Bowling review. High regard for Code Realized Tilda. Wintertide Miracles. Tilda. All the Tildas. Whatever. Next review. Which is Code Realized Tilda. Future Blessings Tilda. Which was also reviewed by Audra Bowling. And she also overall really enjoyed it. Lots of enjoyable games this time around. That's great. So far only a couple of bummers. But don't discount us yet. I've got three more to go. This next review goes elsewhere. Literally, the Elder Scrolls Online Elsewhere expansion release, Ken Chu went in and played it, and he really dug it. Digs it, is enjoying it. Star Ocean First Departure R looks dope, according to Audra Bowling. 
And lastly, another dope review by Neil Chandran, who overall really likes Virgo vs. the Zodiac. It was a nice surprise hit for him, and you should go check it out. Then there's three video reviews. It seems like we're really busy with them, but because, again, this is very spaced out long time ago, whatever. Please go check out the videos we have over at YouTube. There was the Monster Hunter World Iceborne Expansion review. We have the Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel 3 video review. And lastly, a Pokemon Sword and Shield review for you to check out with your eyeballs. And finally, we bring it home to talk about the music you have been listening to and not all of it reviewed by Patrick Gann. But the first one is Saga 25th Anniversary Sound Effects CD was reviewed by Patrick Gann. The Chrono Cross Orchestral Arrangement album, first of all, was reviewed by Joe Padilla. The other disc in there is the Chrono Trigger Orchestral Arrangement disc, and that one was reviewed by Neil Shandran. And finally, the entire Chrono Orchestral Arrangement box was reviewed by Patrick Gann, all three discs, with a Chrono Special Disc Piano Duo, making the uh, entire thing a complete package. Alana Hags had her ears into Octopath Traveler's 16-bit arrangements. And closing it out, Romancing Sega Reuniverse original soundtrack was reviewed by Patrick Gann. Thank you everybody for listening to this litany of news. Hope you processed it. Hope you don't hate me. Hope you go check out RPGFan.com for everything else that you need to read about. And on to episode 176. Hello everybody, welcome to Random Encounter. We are in episode 176, getting uh, getting close to the end of the year. Uh, we are coming actually at the end of a decade. Uh, I'm get yeah, yeah, it's another decade almost almost over, uh, I guess. I guess the, the decade technically ends at the end of 2020 though, right? Uh, I'm asking the people who I haven't introduced yet, but I'll introduce them, then they can answer the question. That's the polite thing to do. I got John O'Logan back on the podcast. Very excited to have you, sir. Welcome back. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming back on again. Uh, you are eloquent and uh, thoughtful, and I like those kind of qualities in my podcast guests. So, uh, Kyle Cortvelli, those are some big shoes to fill. Welcome to the podcast for the first time, sir. Hello, and thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I mean, I'm pretty certain you're quite charming, considering uh, your uh, oh, long-standing stop. relationship with Twitch. Uh, and uh, Kat is a, is a cat cha and I don't think she would put up with uh, no deadbeat. So uh, I think it's so... the other way around. I have to uh, put up with her sometimes. I can't, <laughs> I can't match up to her personality at times. <laughs> I, I know how you feel. Um, I, I love my wife dearly, and she is a very big ball of energy and a very big personality in some days. And it's just like, I'm never, it's it's great because I'm not, like, I, I'm sure you could say the same. Like, it's not like you're embarrassed by them, but you oh, just no. know that you're like, I can't match you. You're <laughs> you're at a, you're at a, at a 12. You've gone at an 8. I can't go for, for, further. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I cannot do it, Captain. I got the power. Uh, in my awful Scotty impersonation. Anyways, uh, welcome, listeners. Welcome to uh, two friends to the podcast. Uh, as you can hear, my voice is not all gravelly and gross and sexy anymore. So uh, you have to put up with normal Greg voice. 
and maybe the odd yeah i heard i heard your voice in the last episode and i was like "Ooh, this is gonna be sexy episode but nope no it was just the (laughs) intro thank goodness which is why it was (laughs) truncated uh so there'll be a very big news dump at the beginning of this episode that uh, everyone has listened to by now or they skip it i don't know no one is really giving me any feedback on whether or not they like that i do that or not so i either assume everyone just skips it or they don't mind hearing what's going on over the website and being i mean how dare they skip it (laughs) it is art it is the only place that there is music in the episode so (laughs) why not at any rate how have you two been doing pretty well um it's christmasy you know season coming up which is always vaguely stressful but always kind of nice at the same time. all kinds of hectic yeah. yeah um what's happening i'm going to i'm this is the first i'm spending i'm spending christmas with my with my partner's family which i always do but then i'm immediately on the 26th flying to nova scotia to spend a couple of weeks with my parents for the holidays which is i haven't done for years so that'll be really nice, nice. going to the scosh yeah and are you in Halifax proper for that, or is it outside of Halifax? Yeah, it's outside of Halifax. It's in uh, a town, New Glasgow, just outside of Picto, where the ferry crosses to PEI. It's where I grew up and where I uh, no longer live. <laughs> uh, that seems, um, yeah, this seems fitting. I mean, I feel like a lot of us depart where we spend our childhood times, especially when they're small towns. It's either you're you're yes. into the small town community and become enmeshed in it, or you want to get away from it. Either or. Totally, and there's nothing wrong with either choice. Um, I mean, you know, I became the person I am in New Glasgow. I I played all the RPGs that defined you know what I do here. So that's something to be thankful for, I guess. Can you remember the very last video game you played before you moved out of New Glasgow? The very last video game I played before I left New Glasgow. I cannot. Ah, well. I can remember the first video game, the first RPG proper I ever played in New Glasgow was Final Fantasy II. I had no idea what an RPG was, and I rented it. I think I don't think I've told this story. I rented it from uh, Aberdeen Video, which was, we didn't have a blockbuster when I was a kid, and I didn't know what an RPG was, so I was just like, oh, they're save games, and I opened it up and like ended up in the last dungeon and tried to play it from that point on, and tried to beat the last boss of Final Fantasy IV uh, without ever having played an RPG, and I had no idea what was going on, and I kind of immediately fell in love with it. I don't think I realized that I could start a new game until the following week when I rented it again. Man, this story is amazing. <laughs> we just showed up, <laughs> we beat up a guy, and it was game over. Incredible. That was an That's incredible ten works. minutes. Yeah, exactly. It's like That's how Lufia 1 works. Exactly. Yeah. It's like the opening of Lufia 1 if that was just the game. <laughs> and then i guess you could almost make it that way then go back and restart it and then all of a sudden you're like i'm a dark knight now what's happening yeah the whole the final fantasy 4 for me the whole game just turns on a flashback like kind of not really tarantino it but uh yeah <laughs> that would be a very bizarre way to experience your very first Drop it RPG. up in different chapters you know uh, after, after tarantino finishes up his star trek movie he can uh, <laughs> pivot and move on to a final fantasy game he'll do it and uh, how are you doing, Kyle? Um, I'm doing good. I am also celebrating the holiday season. I will have to, since I live in the opposite side of the United States, I am going to Tampa. This uh, That's Tampa, Florida, For just in case there's another Tampa somewhere in the world. I don't know at all. Uh, for the holidays, uh, I was born and raised in that area anyway, and um, 
I can't wait to go back and see family. But other than that, I am done with my classes and I have one more semester left and I'll be having my bachelor's degree after 10 something odd years in college. Don't question it. So, <laughs> you, hey, you did it, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going gonna, gonna to happen. Your, uh, your education so far has not failed you. There is only one Tampa Bay so far, so. Oh, good, good. I'm, I'm. I was shocked. It might be a Tampa Bay, uh, uh, somewhere. Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia, sure. <laughs> New Tampa, that. Nova Scotia, <laughs> the less sunny version. Uh, either way, that sounds delightful. And uh, is Cat carting along with you? She is. Uh, she'll be uh, in tote, if you will. But uh, we're gonna have. Unlike the previous holiday seasons, which when you're a newlywed, you are asked to go by five different households. And this time we're only going by two and a half, three households this year. So it is better than some years. And we are happy that we're not traveling. But overall, I think we're going to be good this year for once. Good as in not on the naughty list, or just good as in uh, oh, good as in not being stressed travel. out. Gotcha. <laughs> it's gonna be good, good travel compared to some other years. Although it's funny that you say like you all have cat and toad. I just picture being like part of your carry on. Like you're not actually getting her a seat. Yeah, she's like, she has her, her own little overhead. luggage carry on bag. You know, give her <laughs> treats sometimes. No. No. She's good. <laughs> um, that's great. Yeah, we're not going anywhere because our big trip was yeah Disneyland, and then uh, we were just at the Whistler Film Festival last week which is why this episode's a bit delayed for everybody because i was just not in town and i couldn't really cram anybody in when we got back to get it out uh sooner so it was a fun time though up in whistler bc uh it's i just like that film festival it's a nice little community vibe it's the first time we've gone for the entire stretch of it so that was nice we got a little bit of snow up there um we got to see simon Pegg. he was very excited to go snowboarding apparently he told us a fun story about when they were filming um the, the movies in with Tom Cruise, uh, Mission Impossible. Oh yeah, uh, they were filming it here. And Mission and uh, they were filming Mission Impossible, and Tom Cruise gave him a snowboard, and he's like, "But uh, they don't want us to do this, Tom, kind of thing, because yeah, you know, obviously it's a hazard. You get injured, you get broken. Like you can't. It screws up the filming, right? But anyways, it, it was still on the DL, and they did it, and it was fine. But it was very. Funny. You make it sound like he's a robot or something like that. You get broken. <laughs> I mean, that that could be true. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, you break your leg, like you're the the production has to go on a standstill because you're one of the main characters, right? It's a uh, it's a well known fact in the acting industry side of things. Like you, the the face is the money maker and everything else as well. So you definitely don't want to mess that up if you are in a thing. Gotcha. I don't know. I kind of think robotics is the only way to explain Tom Cruise at this point. <laughs> yeah, he's. Uh, a delightful machine who's like button is stuck to uh, generous and nice and crazy. But no, apparently he's apparently an incredibly lovely human to work with. And Simon Pegg was a delight. He's very well spoken and really fun to listen to because they had a, like a talk back series with him at one point too. Cause his a film that he's in right now called lost transmission was like the opening film for the festival. And it's all right. Uh, if anyone knows anybody who suffers from uh, schizophrenia and schizophrenic breaks. It's a really good look into that. The overall arc of the story and the film's execution is a little inconsistent. His performance is fantastic all the way through. And it's uh, a very real look into what happens to a person when they are going through schizophrenia and multiple personality kind of stuff like that. Uh, his isn't so much manifesting in multiple personality disorder. It's more in the, the delusions that they 
like so vehemently believe are real and it's based on a real person that the the writer of the story knew so he does a fantastic job so he was there for it and answering questions and then there's another thing and yeah he's very funny uh and uh very charming so and then we got to meet him briefly afterwards at an after party thing so it was a it was a fun little celebrity rub shoulders with moment that uh we did not expect to have and kind of hoped would and i also frightened um Patton. what the heck's his name uh will Patton. i was just like i know you've done better things and everything since the postman but i still really liked you in that and he kind of like oh that movie yep <laughs> kind of moment of like thing i want to forget but i was like you were just a really good villain he's like oh well thank you but he was uh he was i was sick so he did that whole like uh don't get me sick please a i'm old man b i'm an actor so <laughs> yeah, that whole thing was kind of funny the second as an actor, the second you say you're sick, it's just everyone around you just goes, oh, God, get the hell away from exactly. me. Exactly. quarantine. And it doesn't help. Like, I lost Go. my voice right before going <laughs> to the film fest. And obviously, we're trying to network and get money for our feature film that we want to make. So it's just very hard to be like, hi, I'm Greg Delmage. And, you know, it was, yeah, it was ridiculous. <laughs> you could have just told, you just don't tell them you're sick and just let your sexy voice do the work. Well, <laughs> It's sexy for like the first 10 minutes of the party. And then when my voice tires out from trying to talk over the noise, then it's just gone. Then it's just like, I am Turn some sexy partner. Greg to just Greg. Exactly. The <laughs> silent partner. Uh, well, then it became the joke of like, I just let my wife do the talking for me as per usual. And that was, you know, the shtick. But at any rate, uh, yeah, Christmas is upon us and colds and crazy weather we actually did a christmas get together yesterday with some friends that they do apparently every year this is our first year we've kind of been invited in to do it because we were just kind of getting to know them and uh they do this annual tradition where they have some friends together they drink boozy coffees and then they go out to uh one of the biggest malls we have in bc and then everybody has an hour and a half to find and purchase the ugliest christmas ornament they can find and then the most ugly one wins whatever prize and you can they should just win all of the ornaments that were bought <laughs> that would has be anyone come print. up with like an invisible ornament yet like here's the most ugliest ornament you just can't see it it, it just it's not good for existence the emperor's new our ornament <laughs> no that didn't seem to be a thing but people have definitely taken like their spending because there's a there's a there's a cap too so you can't just like spend money willy-nilly this year the cap was 15 dollars and People have definitely like gotten crafty, which is kind of what we did. I had an idea. I saw a dollar store. I was like, there's bound to be something crappy and terrible in a dollar store. So we went to the dollar store and we found these little like dog ornaments that were kind of like, they just have this like weird, like lost stare as they stare at you. And then I had a dumb idea. And then my wife was like, yes, we need to do this. So then we bought three different ornaments and super glued them together. So it looks like <laughs> one dog is uh, having sex with the other dog in front of a Christmas tree. And all three of them were sandwiched on each other to to make one full ornament of that delightful depiction. Uh, so that's in your mind, everybody. You're welcome. Uh, wow. I'm sure that's a Christmas tableau that happens all over North America at some point. <laughs> <laughs> right? Two dogs boning in front of your Christmas tree. It's a Christmas Just miracle. Thousand miles there, too. Which is... <laughs> That's the thing is they both had it. Christmas morning. Awful. Uh, so bad you have to keep turning around the ornament. Morning, super excited. Oh, dear. <laughs> and it was, uh, yeah, so that's what, that was our contribution. And uh, we found it basically right inside the first, like, few minutes. So then we were able to run off and actually do some other Christmas shopping. They were like, well, we've already finished ours. So let's uh, use the rest of our hour that we're here to uh, 
do some shopping for our daughter and stuff because that's all coming up too, right? So, anyways, it was a it was a fun day, and then we ran off to some other gatherings, and it was a busy time. But uh, yeah, I think the winner was a very terrible pair of Christmas boxers that look like they have like a Santa wig on them or something. I don't know. It was weird, and they have a beard, and it was yeah. For some bizarre reason, they also decided to tape a banana to it, but I think they were fine without it. Anyways, people got crafty. Wow. <laughs> Just to make it that much more obvious and phallic, I guess. I'm not sure. At any rate. Uh, so, listeners, please chime in and tell us what your bizarre Christmas traditions are. Anyways, RPGs. That's mostly what we're here for. We've been like talking for 15 and a half minutes about nonsense. But we have been playing some video games. Nope, just kidding, we haven't. Podcast over. Thanks for coming out, everybody. No, I am going to turn it over to uh, Jano, who has been playing Romancing Saga 3, which came out not... Well, it came out a while ago. Uh, what was it? Originally yeah. 1995. November 11th, actually. It was on Remembrance Day, 1995. It debuted. And uh, now it has come to us over here. Once again, remastered beautifully. It's probably one of the best remasters I've ever seen. Um, I think it's the best one that's. I think in terms of its look, I think it's the best one that uh, Square Enix has released. Mm-hmm. And that was September. Was it September eleventh, twenty nineteen? When was that, that that came out for us? Uh no, we also. It was also November eleventh. Uh, it was November eleventh too. Yeah, so they released it on the anniversary of the Japanese release. I guess that absolutely makes sense. Uh, very clever on them, but yeah, tell us about it because, like I said, it looks stunning, and I know it's not without its faults, but. Uh yeah um it was really one of those games where uh it just it's i guess it's difficult to live up to 15 years of uh expectations like it's i think everyone you know fans of rpgs especially when they were kids they would occasionally get like an issue of uh game player or electronic gaming monthly and they would see images from rpgs that was that were being released in japan that were not going to be released here and you just get super jealous about this and think oh my god this game looks incredible and it just looks right up my alley it looks like all the games that i love uh and it'd be very frustrating because you wouldn't be able to play it uh and then of course i know it's a gray area but emulation came along uh, a while while back and all of a sudden like final fantasy 5 you could play it in english with the fan translation and it was amazing and I and Romancing Saga Three had a similar uh, translation, and I remember when it came out, I patched the, I patched it and I started playing it, and I only got about I'd say thirty to a, thirty minutes to a half hour in, and I just stopped playing it. Um, I don't remember why. Uh, I I just I just stopped playing it. So when this game was coming out, when the actual version was coming out. Uh, uh, the remaster, I thought, oh, this is a perfect opportunity to play this game, which I have been wanting to play for since it, since it was announced. It just It's very, very exciting. And it wasn't. Very quickly, it was not exciting. Um, it looks and sounds like a game that I should adore and love, and I kind of hated it. <laughs> <laughs> more so than any game this year i just hated it um no i mean yeah what why is that okay uh there's a lot of reasons um the first off is i'm a story guy i like story um i mean to be fair that's sort of why i go to a squaresoft rpg i mean final fantasy four to six chrono trigger except like these are games that are 
amazing that are amazing and known for their stories and characters. And uh, in this particular game, there's a concept where uh, every 300 years there's a uh, there's an eclipse, and uh, all of the newborn children in that year die except for one. And this has happened twice before, and one was a tyrant, and the uh, 600 years ago one was a tyrant, and 300 years ago one was a hero. Um, and it's about I think it's 15 years after the last eclipse, so the world is kind of holding their breath to see whether the next survivor is going to be a good guy or a bad guy. And it's a great idea, and it's a great concept, and that's basically all you get from it. Um, it's an, I guess it's an open-world RPG, 16-bit RPG, which in, in theory sounds amazing, but in practice, it just doesn't really work, at least not for me, um, which was actually one of the more frustrating things about this game. It's people who love... Saga games. I don't, I don't know if either of you have played Saga games or or love them. I'm kind of in the place where you are, where it looks like something I should and want to, but have never made the time for. I played one before the uh, uh, just was it Saga Frontier, or mm-hmm. and and I was like, I don't think this game's right for me. Yeah, um, people who love this game just adore it. Like there's, I was I was bringing up my review here to double check to remind myself, uh, and I. There was another one on the site uh, on RPG Fan. It was, I don't know when it was. There, The person who reviewed it is no longer with us. I mean, he's no longer with us in terms of higher. That's because it was very grim. <laughs> They're <laughs> still Recon- alive Recon- as far as we know, but they just don't work at the site anymore. They're dead to us. So um, they got a 91. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, they gave the game. They gave the game a ninety-one, and uh, it, they say you know it's one of their personal favorite RPGs of all time. And this is something that I've seen and have heard, which is this is a game that if you love it, you just you, it clicks, you adore it. It's it's amazing, and if you don't, it's just one of the most tedious uh, experiences. Um, I mean, the translation, for example, is is fine, but I there's not enough character development or story really for me to be able to judge the writing. Um, and judge the translation on how how good it is. Is it just so centered um, on like the gameplay then? Yeah, I think the my pull quote was, uh, "Romancing Saga Three is as heavy on mechanics as Final Fantasy VI is on plot, and that's not a good thing." Um, and it's true. I mean, the combat you look at you look at a scene from the game, and you're like, "Oh, it's just turn based combat," but there are. Have either of you played Final Fantasy 2? Not not Final Fantasy 4. Final Fantasy 2 for NES? Uh, yes. I have attempted. Uh, I want to go back and power through it at some point, but yes. I played it later on in my life. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't hate it, but the leveling system in it is based around the more you use a skill or the more you get hit by monsters, the more of that um, attribute grows, and that's how you uh, level which up. Which is very neat in concept. Which is very neat in concept, and in, in Final Fantasy 3, they left it behind and continued on with the... Uh, traditional leveling system but then it you know it kind of spun off into romance into the uh saga series and it i guess it works but there's no real indication of when you're going to gain levels there's no real indication of when you're going to uh improve your skills with a a weapon or whether you're going to get more uh hp or mp or sp skills are learned uh at random there's a there's an inspiration system where like in the spur of the moment one of your characters will suddenly use a skill um, and if they do that, you, you've learned that skill. And if you keep using that skill, you master it. And then you can put that skill 
on any other character in your party or any, uh, any other character you've recruited, um, as long as they're using that weapon um, that the skill was learned with. And uh, it, it sounds good. Yeah, that sounds neat in practice. Yeah. Yeah, there's a limit of uh, I think it's eight skills you can uh, you can you can assign, uh, and those include ones you're currently learning. And frustratingly, your it doesn't seem to be level dependent. So like you can forget them to free up some room to gain new skills. But let's say that I forget uh, the like one of the skills I learned like in the first in the first half hour of the game. So I'll forget that skill and then I'll go into a battle expecting to learn another skill. And then they will, with inspiration, they will rediscover that skill. So it kind of is frustrating. It really does feel like you're fighting against the battle system along with the battles. Um, there are multiple uh, formations that you can do which give you uh, boosts to your uh, to your uh, skill sets. So it's like some will boost magic use or some will make you faster. Um there is a commander system, which is kind of neat, actually, where you, you take one of your, you take your main character and you put them in the reserve slot. You can so you can have five characters on screen at a time, and you can have a character in the reserve slot. And if you put your main character in there, they become the commander, and it almost becomes like an app, an auto battle mechanic, where instead of choosing individual commands like fight or magic, you choose almost like a a, a default type of command. So you know, use all your strongest magic. Use just attacks um well that's kind of cool and takes some of the the management out of it i guess so to speak of like the hands-on nature a little bit i mean in again in theory it works really well in practice it kind of just becomes a an auto battle system and to be frank i found the battle so tedious in this eventually i was actually pretty happy that it was there that's funny I have a thought on that, but I'll get to that as well. Yeah, I mean, I sent... Eventually, I I mean, I played the game, and also I found... This is just me, perhaps, but I found the difficulty curve to be uh, insane. Like, in the... I won't mention any character names because it's, you know, spoilers, but in the the last dungeon, you can... You have to fight off the four lieutenants of the the main bad guy. Um, And... I defeated all of them with with no problems at all, just destroyed them. Um, and then I went on to the final boss and the, and uh, just utterly destroyed me with ridiculously unfair uh, attacks. Like they would be like regularly the uh, the RNG would just be hitting me with upwards of three full party attacks uh, in a row, which would take away like a couple hundred each time. So basically an insta kill. And there was nothing I could do about That's it. Gross. And it took all. It was gross, and it took a long time to just get past that point. There's this. This is game very heavily dependent on uh, uh, RNG. I was gonna say, and, yeah. It uh, sounds like it's like a big luck component where you're just hoping, like, don't cast that thing, don't cast that thing, don't cast that thing. I can get through it. Yeah. But... Yeah, but the thing is, you you keep saying don't cast that thing, and inevitably you're gonna say, God damn it! Eventually, after don't cast that thing, because they are going to use it. Um, Eventually, I and I it's it's funny. Uh, prior Saga games, it, it, I read somewhere you shouldn't do this, but it doesn't seem like you were punished for it in Saga th- in Romancing Saga Three. I I've never done this with an RPG before. I found a room where enemies would respawn, and I took my controller and I put a stapler on the A button, and then I just walked away and just let let it auto battle me up to gain some uh, to gain some experience <laughs> because I just I just was I just found it so 
so tedious. It's it's very rare that I've ye- that you yell at a video. I've yelled at a video game. Um, I remember oh, you just with like, come on. Ugh. I remember you telling me about this. Uh, what mechanically? Like, how is your your stapler setup work? Like, what is it? What is the stapler mechanically doing to power you through this? Tell our fans. Oh, uh, <laughs> okay. So I have a uh, I have a uh, SN30 Pro Plus, which is a friggin' amazing controller. If no one uses it. Um, so I'd have that set up and then I would have like, I think it was, I think it was my thermos or something. And I would put the stapler like on an angle, uh, on the thermos with the heavy part of the stapler down, pushing down on the B button. Um, and that would be my, that would be my system. And, uh, I would be writing on my iPad while, uh, while my computer would be playing the game for me. Um, and it was so cheap. I, I, I just, I hate doing stuff like that, but I just, I needed to get through the game because I needed to review the game. And eventually it just reached the point where it was like, all right, I can spend hours grinding mindlessly with a focus on the screen, or I could spend hours grinding mindlessly with a stapler um, rather than having to uh, actually uh, play it. So that's, yeah, that, that says a lot about my opinion of the game. I'd rather let my stapler play it than I would play it myself. Um... And it's so frustrating because it is one of those games that uh, kind of went into JRPG legend because it was never released in North America. Um, The only ways you could play it were through uh, dubious legal means with emulators or fan translations. So the fact that they were releasing this official translation with a remastered version is something to be celebrated, and I'm delighted they did it. It's on such a pedestal. Yeah, I mean, and I kind of put it on that pedestal because if you look at it, it's like, oh my god, this looks, this looks amazing. It looks like, it looks like, it's a, it's a, it's a late, late era Squaresoft RPG. Um, it sounds amazing. Uh, the music in this game, Romancing Saga, I mean, the series has amazing music anyway, but this game especially has some just amazing tracks like the final boss was a nightmare but the music in the background was just oh so good so all of the components of this game should work and it should be a game that i love and it just wasn't and i found that so frustrating um and i do have to admit it made me a little bit more cautious about uh some of the games that square Squaresoft. Now, I mean, it was Squaresoft back then. Squaresoft made the decision not to release in North America. Because back then, I mean, I was a kid. I was like, why aren't you releasing this game? It looks amazing. And now after I have played it, I think that, oh, I get why they didn't release this game. Because it would have been a disaster. Because Super Nintendo uh, fans at the time would have absolutely no context for this uh, mechanics-heavy, absolutely no hand-holding, drop you in the middle of the world, and... Uh, try to figure out your own story. They would have no context for that, and I think the game would have just been a disaster for them. Um, yeah, it definitely wouldn't have been on the, the re-release window. <laughs> probably not. I mean, again, if they did, it would have found an audience, I suspect, because games, you know, good games always find their audience. And I don't necessarily think this is a a bad game for some people. For me, though, it was probably my least favorite game I played in years it's funny, I gave it a slightly better score than Fallout 76, because I can recognize that Fallout 76 is the worst game. But I enjoyed Fallout 76 more than this, if that makes sense. Why was that not your pullout quote? Fallout 76, <laughs> the worst game. 
John perfect Logan. opportunity. <laughs> I, th- I think that was my follow quote for that camp for Fallout 76. Um, uh, if, I, if I released an update, I could just say even worse than it was before. Um, yeah, I just, I, it, it's such a shame. It's made me a little bit more cautious about, uh, like, if they release, uh, if they release more games uh, that were never released in North America, I hope that it happens and I will be delighted to play them. But honestly, if you're going to play a game where, you know, you pick your character at the first and it's completely nonlinear and it kind of just feels like a, a, a game of subquests and that's it, then just play Octopath Traveler. It's a better game, in my opinion. Um, I think you'll get a better experience from it um, if you want a if you want a similar structure. It's, uh, you know, the leveling up system is completely different. And the mechanics are completely different, um, which Saga fans will ha- would very happily tell you. But yeah, I think it's I think it's just a better game if you're looking for this type of experience. Um, that being said, it's absolutely gorgeous. They the sprite work is the sprite work is unparalleled. I mean, it's late again, late era SquareSoft Final Fantasy style uh, pixel art. Um, the backgrounds have been completely redone in HD and widescreen, um, and unlike. Unlike the re-releases of Final Fantasy uh, five and six, uh, yeah, that basically sums up everyone's opinion about those. Um, they're very, they're very uh, true to the source material. Like I, I've compared screenshots, and yeah, they're they're obviously cleaner and they're they're a lot sharper, but they look very very similar. The game looks, it. I imagine the game looks like someone who hasn't played the game for 15 years would remember the game looking, if that makes sense. Just crisp. Which yeah, is, I crisp. think, what we all want to see from a better remaster of said aforementioned titles. Yeah. Um, if they take this engine and clean things up with that, it'd be amazing. I think that uh, there are a lot of there are a lot of points in Romancing Saga 3's favor. Um like I said, it's not for me. I gave it a review. I gave it a score that I felt it was extraordinarily deserving of based on my experience with it. But if you love this kind of game, if you play it for an hour and you say, oh my God, this is this is exactly what I'm looking for. There's a new game plus option, which allows you to carry over your, uh, you know, it's a new game plus option, just like in Chrono Trigger. Um, and that allows you to uh, pick another character and see their uh, prologue and their story. Um, and experience a few things like that. So there, this game has a tremendous amount of replay value. Um, there are uh, quests that you can miss if you uh, aren't in the right place at the right time, or you do something first, and you, you'll just miss it forever. So that you know, there's there's reason to go back uh, and play it. I suspect there's going to be uh, a fair number of really detailed walkthroughs about this game. Uh, after playing it for about, I think about seven hours, I. I latched onto one like it was a life raft. Um, so I, if you play it and you love it, I, I am very happy for you because I think you're going to find something. You're going to find a lot to love here. Um, if you play it and you think, oh, crap! I really hope I can get my Steam refund on this, then it's not for you, and you'll probably agree with much of what I said in the review. Yeah, um, I'm. I really. This it's the kind of game that makes me wish I could rent it. Because yeah, it's I'm a shame curious. that there's no blockbusters or what did I say in the first Abercrombie, Abercrom- video. Aberdeen, whatever it was. Abercrombie, Abercrombie video. <laughs> Abercrombie video. Abercrombie, Abercrombie and video. Fitch now make their own games. 
Want to know what? I think the New Glasgow Abercrombie video is still open. I think it's the only video store in uh, in New Glasgow. Maybe maybe one of the only ones left in maybe East Coast Canada. But yeah, it, it's a shame that there's not. You can't just go and you can't rent a game for like five dollars for three days. And uh, not the ideal way to play RPGs, but a great way to figure out if a game is for you or not before you buy it. Exactly. If there was a demo or something, that would definitely be the ideal thing right now. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm very glad I played it. It's one of those games that has always, like I said, I played it for an hour, uh, the, the Super Famicom version, the fan translation, like a decade ago, I played it for about an hour and then I stopped and I suspect, I don't remember the reason why I stopped, but I suspect I have forgotten that I played it for an hour and went, uh, and then just stopped playing it. Um, and then over time, I just forgot that. And when I saw it was coming out, I was like, ooh, I want to review it. Um, and I did. And it's just, it was not, it was not a, it was not a game for me. If you love Saga games, you know, I'm very happy for you. I hated it. And I suspect that. <laughs> Let's not I talk. Suspect, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll go I suspect that if, if I played a two got released a while ago, Alana reviewed it, I think. Um, I was thinking when I first got Romancing Saga 3, I was like, ooh, if I really like it, I'll play 2. Not going to play 2. Not going to play 2 at all. Um, I was going to say, 1 was back on the PlayStation 2 we got a release of it, but I don't know if we've ever gotten a re-release when they were doing all these remasters. uh, I don't think 1 got a re-release. I don't even think it's been... I don't think think it's even got a fan translation. I'm not sure about that, though. I don't know Um, either. I mean, and to be fair, I haven't played a lot of Saga games. I played, I think I played Frontier uh, years and years ago. I played some of the uh, Saga games on the Game Boy, which were released as Final Fantasy Legends here. Right. And I liked them. You know, they were great RPGs for the Game Boy. Um, Does Scarlet Grace intrigue you at all? No. I mean, it did before I played Romancing Saga 3. Um, but now I think I'm, a, uh, if, if Saga is connected to it, I am I am suspicious that I will not connect with the, with the material. Um, I'll read the review when it comes out. Uh, I'm excited to. Uh, on RPG Fan, it should be out. I don't, I don't know when it'll be out. Maybe two weeks or so. But when it comes out, I'll be super excited to read it. Um, if it gets a great review, I will be thrilled to death that whoever played it had a great experience. But I'm not going to... I have too much to play to dive into a game that I'm reasonably certain based on its predecessor that i won't really care for too much and that's exactly a fair point for sure that being said Stephen myring did work on it for uh for scarlet grace so uh we can always really? support that yeah if i'm not mistaken he did some localization work on it which is mm. super cool uh two things first of all abercrombie variety and video is currently still open till midnight so get there before it's not too late uh, <laughs> a side note to that though Nearby, there's. it looks like the town of Trenton, and there's a Logan subdivision. Does your family own a subdivision in Trenton, Jono? No, I'm afraid my family does not own a subdivision in Trenton. Um, my mother was, my mother still is, uh, the broker of Cobalt Banker there. Susan Green, if anyone is looking for a, uh, for a buyer's agent in Pictou County. Um, and my dad was a school teacher <laughs> oh, that's, for years. There you go. Small Best town. advertising ever. <laughs> yeah. If you, let me tell you something though. If you do go to Abercrombie Video, right across the street is uh, I can't remember the name of it now. I think they changed their name, but there's a pizza place. It's the best pizza in Pictou County. It's it's just incredible pizza. It's one say, of the first things I'm going to do when I get there. Nice. I was going to say it looks like there's nothing around there. It's like just out in the middle of nowhere, gas station kind of looking thing. Uh, yeah, but, it is. 
But uh, yeah, that's right, folks. We're selling out. That was our uh, paid advertising for this episode of Random Encounter. Not at all. I wish. Uh, the other thing I was going to say uh, was your Fallout 76 quote was, the real tragedy of Fallout 76 is its squandered potential. <laughs> yeah. And I was, my. I think my hope, I think I'm the last paragraph of that review. I haven't read it for a long, long time. I think I've read it since I played it because I've been trying to forget. Um, I think that I was expressing hope that this is a great foundation that they can build off of. And that if they, if they go in the right direction, they might be able to redeem it. And they have not done that at all. They, it's like they looked at my final paragraph and was like, ooh, let's do the opposite of that. Um, <laughs> well, moving on from the punching bag that is Fallout 76, uh, thank you so much for, yeah, your insight on Saga. And I'm, yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic. Like, I'm still very intrigued by them. And I could be that person who likes the esotericness of the entire system. And, and I might be one of those people who are just like, you're wrong, Jono. And we will have a uh, spoiler cast and fight about it. It'd be great. Honestly, if you play the game and you love it, I would love to just have, have a nice talk about it on random. That'd be a great Change discussion. my mind. Exactly. <laughs> Change my mind. Uh, do you have any interest in the Saga series since you bounced off it at all, uh, Kyle? Well, as far as I know, I've only had one experience with it, and that was way back on the PlayStation. I think it was a Saga Frontier. I'm, I know there's like two of them. I think it, I want to say it's number two, but... When I first played it, I was basically renting it from a blockbuster, <laughs> and I didn't like it. Uh, I, it was either the weapon system, or at least was something else. It wasn't like a Final Fantasy or any of the games I was playing at the time. I was confused. I didn't know if I was doing anything good. I was, I didn't really know what to do, and I wound up feeling as if I wasted my money renting this game and then returning it, feeling I didn't accomplish anything. But I don't know. I think I might be interested in the Saga games now because probably I didn't grow up with it. And if I jumped into it, like I was watching Scarlet Grace, and I was like, oh, this thing looks really good because uh, I really like retro games. So I would want to find a way to get back into it, knowing that I have games over my belt and have a better uh, palette of them. But... I feel like I can jump into it. Uh, I would hold my thoughts on it, so I actually, you know, got five, at least five, ten hours into one. But I don't know. I, I feel like that's what my gut feeling would would come across as. So if there was like an eighty percent Steam sale, that's probably when you'll have your point of entry and give it a shot, and without feeling too More terrible. More than likely. <laughs> okay. I, I, for for uh, quote unquote bad games, uh, not to say it is a terrible game, but for games that I, I really don't feel like jumping right into, I'll just wait for a nice, good discounted version of it and i'll jump right into it and i i typically like the game well that's uh not uh, a terrible plan at all speaking of things though that you did jump right into sd gundam g generation oh, sd gundam g generation cross race ha, i got it that's uh, right that dropped on steam on november 27 2019 it's also, is it getting a Switch release? Did I get a Switch release at the same time, too? Unfortunately, it did get a Steam uh, Switch release and a PlayStation 4 release, but Japan only or in the Asian market. Um, we are so very lucky to get this game because it's actually the first game of at least, what, 10 of them? 10 or 15 of them that has a Western release. And I, I, have a, I did a review for it, which I don't know if I'm allowed to talk on the the podcast you're about well i mean you can talk about your review just obviously don't spoil your scores or anything oh, like sure. that but you can at least oh, talk about your experiences spoil. for sure well it's it's okay so the backup here i'm a huge gundam fan if anyone 
knows me out there. I I love Gundam. What's your favorite um, series? Oh, uh, Stardust Memories. Nice. Uh, you you have Gundam taste. Gundam 0083. Yep. <laughs> I love the animation. Uh, I, in that I, I love it. Oh, I love it. It is such a uh, the the old school anime styles of all the Universal Century ones. It is absolutely. Um, it's aged it's so hard. well. It, it is aged so well, but it's kind of like one of those things of you kind of have to sip your way through it because if you just jump right into the old stuff, you're like, oh, this is crap. Uh, and, you know, it's not, at least not for me. Stop ruining my childhood, please. But I I loved it. And it was just something about either the mechanics of it, uh, the way and look and felt. Um, and when I grew older, it just resonated with me a larger because it's like it's a war it's a real war it's not happy go lucky um pretty looking guy boys i'm not ripping on wing here i'm not believe it yeah not, wings pretty gritty anything. sometimes yeah yeah but i'm just saying it's it just felt like an actual series but the i know we had segued from the see i can talk about gundam all day and night i I warned you about this. <laughs> um, but Crossrays, yes. Notice cross me not stopping I, you. <laughs> yes. But I probably um, should. Yes, Crossrays. It's being highly reviewed, but what are you thinking? Unfortunately, it didn't come out to Switch for us because I would have loved to play it on the Switch. It feels like a great game to carry with you. It, I mean, it does. And I'm not saying it's any any worse on, on Steam. Uh, I, I will still love it either way. But it's it's... It's a game that feels like a gotcha game without the gotcha mechanic. Uh, it's because they're so cute, isn't it? Yes, they're so cute. Little super deformed faces and our huge heads and small bodies. How could you not love it? Uh, but I, there's there was something that was a cult following back in the day because maybe I don't know if you guys had this problem too, like for games you saw in Japan that. You're like, oh God, why did it get that game? Um, or why did it like the, and then we were talking about it before for yeah, the Ace Attorney it's like series. like what you were just saying, even about Sega and such, yeah. Yeah. It's like, he's like, why can we have this game? Why can't it come over? Why Why do I have to force myself to learn Japanese? Which, by the way, if you do, good for you, because it's difficult now in my age. But uh, toast why to would Steven they... Myrink and Derek Hemsbergen. Well, okay. Well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> They're smarter than us. Yeah, I guess so. But I, I had the nostalgic feeling that they have all these Gundam games coming out in Japan, and like none of them were localized. Now, to be fair, the previous one uh, this of the same title, Genesis, did have an English localization, but it never came out stateside. You can import it, just like how some of the Super Robot Wars games were as well, some of the uh, later editions one. And you can still play it fully, but the the problem with it was is that it just never had that release. You can't, you couldn't go to a, a game store. You couldn't, you know, get it from Amazon uh, without spending some type of ridiculous price on it. Was it localized just to the UK or something? Um, it was. It's weird because it's a it's a Singapore edition. Um, and it, I I haven't really read too much into it. And this is how I got in some of the other like Super Robot Wars and uh, um, G Generation Genesis, is that everything's in English. Everything, the gameplay is, uh, the font, everything is like that. It's just that the voice is kind of like how Crossways is, is all voiced in Japanese, which it's not bad. But for some people that really like to hear some of their favorite voice actors with some of their favorite roles, they're, they'll be a little bit disappointed with that one. But I still justify the gameplay more than anything. So it, it it's just really weird how they localize it just for the Singapore region and you can buy it. 
But since thankfully, if you have a PlayStation 4, you can just pretty much throw it on in and even a Switch too, and it'll still work. But I, I never really got it, but I'm glad that they did do it. So I at least had that experience instead of me just kind of, you know, pulling through all the Japanese and trying to figure out what the mechanics are. So it just made things a little easier. But with the release of Crossrays, it was a worldwide release, which is unprecedented. Usually uh, every everybody except us would get the release and then we would get like a month or two later. But it was a simultaneous world release both on Steam and over there on the Switch and PlayStation 4. And I... I feel like it's getting favorable reviews in a way. Um, not spoiling my review anyway, uh, because the release hasn't come out yet. But I I think it has a lot of meat on the bone. It really does. It it's 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 one of those games that you come around that if you really want to play a strategy RPG and you really want to get into the Gundam series, you have absolutely no problems getting to the series if you have zero idea of Gundam in general. If you have no idea what NSD is, you have no idea what all the series are, it, it really calls your name and just says, you know what? We don't care where you come from. We have these games, or at least this specific game. We'll get you into it. Shouldn't have any problems. That's great, considering so, it seems to span like every universe. So I guess you don't really need the foreknowledge to feel like you can jump in. That's yep. good. And the, the, the uh, G-Generation does a really interesting thing, especially with universes uh, or errors, really. And they focus on certain eras. Like, they usually focus on the Universal Century eras and with the earlier games. They kind of go back and forth, back and forth, except if you're G-Generation Wars and you just had, like, 700-something-odd suits and you just don't really care. But with Crossrays, they focus on the newer series, uh, such as Wing, uh, the subunit of Wing called G-Unit, Double uh, O, as well as Iron Blood Orphans and Seed. But I like Seed. Did it get Unicorn See, Destiny, in there as well? They did not. Mm. Unicorn falls into the Universal Century. So oh. they shoved that off to the side. Oh, that yeah, I guess that makes sense. Okay, right. Because mm-hmm. Lando Bell and blah, 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 blah. Right. Mm-hmm. So they at least focused on that one, which I think is a smart idea because Wing, if I believe, uh, was many people's, uh, people's, persons, persons, gateway into Gundam, the Gundam universe That's in me. general since it came out. I'm, yep, I'm one of them. Like everybody... <laughs> Everyone knew of Wing, and, and when Mobile Suit Gundam, the original one came out, I was like, oh, this isn't Wing. It looks terrible. <laughs> yeah, I disagree. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, it's like how Sailor Moon got like almost all of us in North yeah. America into anime. Hey, I I love Sailor Moon. I, I am proud to say that. You know, Sailor Moon was a part of my uh, my, my childhood. Right. I love it, and I still love it. Okay, well, not Crystal as much as, okay, well, and that's a, that's a dicey situation right there, but anyway. Tune in later for <laughs> Getting our off track. Sailor Moon spoiler cast. <laughs> but carry on. Um, Sorry, I interrupted. But it's all right. I when I when I popped in a game because I I had the benefit of actually uh, doing a trial of it because uh, I have a Japanese account and I in- adored the trial and I couldn't get my hand couldn't wait to get my hands on the game and so when I got my hands on it I I don't know it it, it felt like I was reliving some type of nostalgic childhood that was locked somewhere in my brain and I had the key and I opened it up and I was like, oh my God, all the stuff coming out. So I I did not realize how many suits, I mean, you can say that, okay, this game has X amount of suits. This game has at least 400 different suits that you can pilot, at least. Um, I think I counted 480 something suits, not including any DLC, which they are currently releasing more as they come along. That's a lot of suits. Um, 
It is a lot. And uh, as many characters that you can pilot with those suits too. But they, they, I am so shocked how many suits they are from all and every series inside that game. And it, it was, it's such a pleasure just to see the animations of like, uh, not the animation, but the 2D uh, uh, renderings of each suit and their SD forms, obviously. And I, I, I just, I had a big smile. My, I had a big stupid grin on my face. Like, oh my God, it's like, I'm getting, I'm like a kid in a candy store or something like that. Or, I, or a video store or whatever the analogy is nowadays for you, you, you hipsters out there. Um, video. The Abercrombie video. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, we get uh, but, approximately one cent every time we mentioned it. Yeah, there we go. It's, it's stock goes up just a little. <laughs> I uh, the one thing I, I absolutely adore about the game is is the the the, the animation on it, uh, and they improved it from the previous games because originally it was just background two D animation style, and then they improved it uh, heavily throughout the series, uh, almost perfected inside generations, and then Crossrays. I just feel it's it's so fluent, and and I I mentioned this in my review at some point. I'm not going to say it word for word, but there was a certain moment in the game where uh, one of the suits decided to perform an action and my brain was like, oh my God, it's happening. My 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 brain was freaking the hell out of like, this is happening on screen. This looks so awesome. This looks so cool. And I, I just smiled. Now, with that being said, I'm not being biased towards the, the game whatsoever, but it does have its faults because the one problem... I really didn't like about it, and this this probably has something to do with maybe SRBGs in general, um, is that it can get long and repetitious at times. Because you see the battle animation, and you go as far as to play it, and then you do it again, and then maybe after the fourth or fifth turn, maybe the, even the fifth or sixth turn, you're like, oh, God, I just want to get through this now. I just want to you know, play it, and I want to beat the game. So you're inadvertently skipping all the animations. But it's not that it's a bad thing. It's just it drags on. And God forbid you fail the map after 45, 60 minutes in. And you have to restart the whole thing if Which you just do a quick save. What happens with strategy RPGs? That's par for the course. Yeah, it's the risk you take. But, it, but I'm glad you can skip the it, animations. You can. And it, it does have a lot of customing, uh, customizing options, I guess, to either go in like a lightning round type of thing where you just skip everything. And you can just go boom, boom, boom. It, it's really un- interesting because it, it doesn't feel like a game anymore. You're just trying to get through it. And that's but, great because it all depends on when and how you want to play. Because there's times where I want to see the art of it. I want to listen to the voices and I want to mm-hmm. do it. And there's other times where I'm just like, I've seen this before. And or I've only got like an hour to play before I go to work. So let's just rip through a mission yep. or something, right? And yep. I want to know what it doesn't really. I, some of the best games I've ever played. You do eventually reach the point where you're just like, all right, let's wrap this up. You just you're you're in the you last you're in the last section you're just like okay i'm, I'm i want to beat the game but i'm kind of done exactly and that's 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 all that it just comes down to and it just it comes down to mentality and can i be done with this game which you know sometimes if some people say can i be done with this game it's like it's a bad game but it's not really a bad game you're just mentally exhausted yeah uh, you, you climb the mountain and then like you want to go back down now but uh, going back to what I said about previous history of you know knowledge of Gundams, it, if you have no idea what Wing is, shame on you, first of all. Uh, if you have no idea what any type of Gundam series is, they do a pretty good job of retelling all the stories because that's what G-Generation does. It doesn't have a unique storyline to it, but it does retell every single of the main beats of the, the main story arcs. 
the four main ones, like I said, with Iron Blood Orphans, Wing, uh, Destiny, and Sea Destiny, along with Double O, they retell the whole entire story. But my problem is, knowing that I have watched all of them, I feel like they shortchanged the people that have seen it, and they're going to feel a little bit scorned, saying, hey, they're skipping out this, and they're skipping out that. But, you know, what ad- adaptation does that anyway? You, you can't really adapt the entire thing unless your game is specifically doing that one series. And even at that point, you're, you're not going to do it enough justice. You're going to find someone out there that's going to be like, oh, well, they forgot that small character. and ah, mm. So it, it just does a good job of holding your hand through the series. And maybe if you show some interest in the, the animes later on, that's great. Uh, I, I'm sure it's bound to because there's a lot of interesting designs inside of there. Um, and you were saying something about, you know, having only so much time in your day to play the game. Well, a very interesting mechanic to me, and I don't know if any other game kind of does this, uh, they have what is called a group dispatch. And it encourages you to put your uh, suits, now, I guess to preface this, you have a squadron of four groups, uh, two of them warship groups, which you can stuff uh, one giant warship and have, uh, I believe, nine suits occupy it. And just like a, with the Saga series, you do have like a master slash leader of them. So that guy or girl is the commander of that one group. So you can uh, rattle off all the skills all at once or they can benefit everything that comes out of it. it it's kind of a good system, uh, a squadron system, but... So you have four squadrons, you can group dispatch them to real-time hours. So they'll have like several missions that are like daily missions or something like that. One's for two and a half hours, one's for five hours, one's for 12 hours. That's real-time. That's not game time. That is like 100% real-time hours. So if you got to go to work, you got to go to bed, you, you don't really have any like five or 10 minutes to play the game, you can put your suits through the group dispatch and you can just set them free, and then eight, ten hours later, you come back to the game, they'll be done, you'll level up your characters, you'll get some goodies with it, and it just feels like you're actively playing the game if you don't have the time. That's pretty cool, and, like, it, yeah, I guess that's where it feeds into kind of the gotcha sort of mechanics, but not quite. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's like, not quite, but quite, but I think the gotcha mechanics does come around to the, the suits, because you can evolve your suits into bigger and better ones. So if you have, like, for Wing, for example, if you go from, um, you know, uh, Wing Zero, you can go into the, the Epion if you wanted to. Or if you're inside uh, Iron Blood Orphans, you can, uh, Barros, you can have that go into uh, Lupus or Lupus Rex later on in its series. You have to have a certain level up with it, but it gets addicting, and I'm at least 45, 50 hours into it, and I've only completed about the, the gallery of about 42%. And I'm, I'm taking my time, too. Uh, I know there's some people that have invested a lot more time into the game, but I've completed a couple of the scenarios, and I can tell you that it's, it's, it's just a pleasure to see in this game over. And a lot of people will get turned off from it because it is Gundam. It is different. They're going to think it's really cutesy. It's really not. Uh, some of the stories inside of there, like if you played Iron Blood Orphans, it's really adult. So I... I my, my whole takeaway is, is that just if you're going to judge any game, don't judge this one until you see someone play it, you know, watch something on Twitch, read my review when it comes out, uh, and you, you'll see why this game looks really nice. And it, it's one of those few things that I'm glad we got it. I hope we get more because the last um, 
RPG that I played with Gundam was, uh, if you don't count the Dynasty Warriors, since it's more of a hack and slash, in my opinion. I know it's kind of RPG-ish, but it was Emma and New Dawn. Uh, I played it on the stream. It was excellent game. It's also SD in a way. It's easier for them to animate. But it's just something I want more of, and I'm hoping that we do get to see more of it because we're really deprived of that particular genre. And being that their 40th anniversary is still going in full effect, I, uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not employing Bandai Namco or anyone else out there, but please give us more. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and you don't feel then, like, I mean, you're fine with the tone of the game and the look of Correct. it and like the dichotomy between the two. Do you feel that mm-hmm. does it a disservice, though, for folks who are expecting, yeah, something more, I guess, youth-friendly, child-friendly? I mean, people who understand the SD art style and are fans of it, they know what they're signing up for, you know? And usually I find a lot of that is, like, it's, again, seeing these cute comical uh, things in adult comedy situations is part of the charm and the funniness of it all. And kind of take, take it, not take yourself too seriously, but also still taken seriously. Like, do you find that muddles the product a bit? No, it doesn't muddle anything at all because there's, um, uh, I can't say I'm going to spoil anything for you if you haven't seen Seed, for example. But there is one, actually, there's a couple of gut-wrenching moments in the series that I can think of. But in the game, they depict one specific one. And maybe because I remember more of it of the anime, but when they depicted of it, it went from like cutesy to oh stuff happened uh i don't know how i feel about this but um some things are left to be it went from maybe happy-go-lucky to people died and they they do a good job of trying depicting that but i don't think that muddles it i don't really think that um overshadows the tone of the game i think they could have done a better better service to it but I I think it's rather inviting, and it's not going to catch anyone off guard. And it's kind of like um like how SpongeBob is, or Fairly Odd Parents, or one of the cartoons that it looks cartoon, it looks fun, and everything. And you actually listen to it, and you're just like, wow, this has a lot of adult tones to it, like a lot of innuendos. What's going on here? And I'm not comparing that to SD Gundam G Generations by any means, but it's the cuteness is one thing, but it's it's adult, not like too adult, but it's got adult themes in it. Um, but that, that's what I'm trying to say. Just don't let the cutesy, fun, happy-go-lucky mobile suits get to you. It's, it's hundred percent full Gundam. It's, it's not really dampening anything. They're not going to see like someone playing a beach volleyball with a Haro or something like that and saying, Oh, look, we're having good time fun. No, it's, it's the whole series. You're, you're, that's not going to be diluted by any means. And that's good that it has a cohesive tight story, which is what's holding it together. Um, mm-hmm. Like I bring it up because I was playing Hero Land, which just launched. Zach's working on it for review, and it's almost done. And I'm not entirely sure how he's feeling. We've only chatted a bit about it because I've been doing the capture side of it for a video review that we want to put out with it. And like its tone is all over the place because you look at the game Hero Land that just launched on the Switch, and it looks like it should be, you know, very youth friendly, child oriented, and whatnot. But then there's some some tone and some language. They're like, no, actually, I don't want my daughter to play this, you know, and it and it's really weird with how it's presented to be so simple and cutesy and fun. And also because of so many bizarre, random, all over the place moments where I know she would find that funny because it definitely harkens to stuff like Metopia and such, uh, which mm-hmm. she absolutely loves. But it it just uh, it's so weird and bizarre and all over the place that I'm like, I don't know what to expect from it when you have like a character calling another character a dick 
You're like, um, <laughs> wow. that I did not see coming from that very adorable otter. So, uh, it's, it throws me off a little bit from wanting to recommend it to her to play until she's like, you know, 12. But at that point too, it's just like, well, will it even land the same way for her? I don't know. Cause everything else, like it seems pretty good and maybe seems like a, an isolated incident in the game, but like, I can't discount that it won't happen again. Right. And I don't want to be responsible mm-hmm. for exposing her to that. So if you, again, if you know what you're getting into and the story is cohesive and it all makes sense and it's not just putting it in just to be edgy or whatever and Damn. and put these these cute characters into ridiculous scenarios just for the sake of shock and comedy. But anyways, yeah, uh, I just was curious if this suffers the same, which it sounds like it doesn't. So that's no, great. and it, it, it's a good it's a good thing that it doesn't. And I, I want to go in there to say like they're doing all of it like dark and hardcore. They're not. Uh, some of the scenes that that could have been done that way, they forego it, and it's. Not saying E for everybody, but it's it's definitely one of those games that you you won't be disappointed whether if you haven't seen it or you have seen it. Uh, it's just it's good. It's a good play. If anything, it'll uh, I guess entice you to want to go seek out the series and fold to get the full story. Exactly. If you like what you're seeing, kind of thing, but you want to know more. That's my hope. That's my hope. Well, that's good, and I'm glad. Uh, yeah, you're having a good time with it because it would be such a disappointment to have one of these finally available overseas and then be like, eh, it's a train wreck. And they're like, oh, this is crap. Don't ever bring it again. Well, and yeah, exactly. And we've definitely run into that, you know, a.k.a. Uh, romancing Sega 3. Wah, wah. Depending on who you are. Uh, Depending on who you are. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I'm always down for Gundam. I love strategy. And this sounds rad. I've always wondered about the series because, yeah, it's only been Japan only. So that's right. We haven't really gotten it out here. So I've known so little mm-hmm. about it, except that it just looks adorable and fun. And it's like a very like condensed version of... The, the stories overall but it has a, a good strategy element to it uh, and that's super neat because those are definitely in my wheelhouse so it might be something worth looking into um have you ever i guess dipped your toe into the gundam world jana i'm looking at the wiki article now this is there is an insane amount of it i know it's crazy this is like one out of like at least 20 games that's been spanning since say, the wondrous one insane amount of Gundam SD Gundam games or an insane amount of Gundam <laughs> which which one are you referring to uh both yes okay. <laughs> both but i'm looking at this it says there's over 80 video games across multiple platforms and i'm also looking at like the uh tv series film and videos and it's just continuous ever since 1979 mm-hmm. it looks like there's been something on the air every single year since then that is a dense dense amount of mythology um which is enticing and it's definitely not without its bad eggs but yeah but that's pretty much with everything i mean this thing geez this thing makes doctor who look accessible (laughs) (laughs) and that's saying something for sure um but i mean hearing you talk about the game it sounds fantastic Mm -hmm. no unfortunately i never got in (laughs) unfortunately they didn't have any gundam to rent at abercrombie video when i was a child so that's okay i mean it's it was one of those things that we got scraps at i mean some people may remember like gundam battle assault for the playstation um i do yeah yeah there you go see it's it's just wing has a certain pull to it like if you put that one was more realistic ish wasn't it yeah it was um it had it was not sd it was just basically your actual you know maybe not the scale actually it could be the scale sizes based on the enemies you actually face in there but it was more of a beat-em-up game and um the localization was terrible uh but i remember it it. not being the best i i still enjoyed um endless duel 
far more. Ah. <laughs> Talked about it a few episodes ago when we had our big binge on Mecca. But yeah, it was, uh, yeah, Endless Duel was where it was at for me still. Cool. Uh, but yeah, there's yeah so much Gundam, everything, and and so many, like, and it's so funny how one series, like, it'll be like, the Gundam is, like, the only thing that's Gundam and made of, mm-hmm. uh, is it Gundarium or Gundanium? Um, it's, it, it's changed over okay. some things. Just like how in C, they don't call them Gundams anymore. It's actually an acronym for the whole thing. Oh. And they wonder why. Oh. It's like, why are you calling it Gundam? It's like, well, that's how the IOF is called. I'm like, all right. Yeah, okay, get out of here. Yeah, I know. Uh, just, yeah. <laughs> and then conversely, then you'll have stuff like Wing where like everybody has a Gundam. And, and then there's even that one that goes the step forward where it's like I am Gundam, a Gundam. Wing X, um, like Punch Out. Where it's like the the big like Street Fighter competition with all the different like oh, country themed Gundam yeah G Gundam thank you yeah. I I got a super kick out of like the the country themed Gundams it's all the just ridiculous weird stereotypes that Japanese doesn't really care about right exactly oh, fans well, look it up one day one. just Google G Gundams Gundams and it will not disappoint yeah the Canadian lumberjack Gundam that. I can't remember. Was it actually like it was like a pine tree <laughs> thing or something? Yeah. I can't remember. I know it wielded an axe. That's to be for fair. Sure. It couldn't yeah. possibly be worse than bear hugger, right? Uh-uh. Yeah. <laughs> so, any rate, uh, that was that, and I'm glad it is landing well. Um, conversely, I've been playing Neverwinter Nights Enhanced Edition on the Switch. Neverwinter Nights uh, was a series I always wanted to try because um, did either of you? I mean, I don't know if you two are both. I suspect you are, John, more into, like, the Western RPG side with your love of Obsidian and such. Did you ever do, like, Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale, that sort of stuff? Weirdly, honestly, as a kid, I was never into, uh, I was never into, uh, isometric RPGs. They never really connected with me until later in my life. Because I was, I was a hardcore SNES console, uh, console guy. I never got into PC gaming until quite a bit later. And for yourself, Kyle? Oh, for Neverwinter? Well, yeah, just like the the early like um, uh, what TSR games, like basically all the old Dungeon Dragon stuff that Bioware kind of uh, pioneer with them in Black Isle. I don't know. I I don't know if this actually falls under. I could have sworn, but I've always loved this game called uh, Pool Radiance. I don't know if that's. Uh... Oh yeah, uh, that was one of the D and D ones. Yeah, I think it was Neverwinter. It could have been. Yeah, I, I, that's what I was kind of wondering. Is it's like I, I fell in love with Pool Radiance for some weird reason, and the reason why that calls out my head is I never actively played those games, and I played that one. It felt felt nice, and I to this day can't find the game properly. So it was an AD and D game, and then I think it got remade. Oh, did it? Originally, it was like I think an Amiga one, wasn't it? Uh, like, did you play it back when it was like it was on the PC? On a, I'm, yeah, it was on PC, but did you remember it being like on the Amiga, like Commodore sixty four, like that sort of rudimentary, or was it? Because I feel like they remastered it, like they did a newer version. It was, I think, it was a newer version because it was definitely it. like an over the shoulder. It felt like um, I forget the name, but it's kind of like a um, Fallout esque over the shoulder, click here, click there type of thing. Which is kind of what Neverwinter Nights is. Okay, because okay. I feel like they did do a pool of radiance in that engine. I'm pretty certain. Yeah. At any rate, uh, yeah, like the old one is pretty much like abandoned wear, but now that newer one, you probably should be able to find it. At any rate, Neverwinter Nights, uh, yeah, it was a shift from the isometric into the more 3D gaming world, but still with that point and click kind of tactic system. 
So it's like it's like a weird muddy version of like if like uh, Morrowind and Baldur's Gate had a baby, and so it's kind of like almost trying to do that kind of gameplay of like yeah like Morrow and the the Elder Scrolls series and um, or stuff like uh, Dragon Age. Like that sort of over the shoulder, like you're saying, third person viewpoint, but with the D and D mechanics, uh, and all those ones were built. They started in the third, or yeah, Baldur's Gate was at A D and D with Thacko and awful, and I'm so glad Baldur's Gate two dumped into jumped into uh, third edition, and I think Neverwinter is three point five or third. Either way, I've played three point five D and D for years up until the past couple of years. I finally left my group of like four years that I was playing with just because time. Uh, and uh, it was really nice returning to that world because I can see where all the rules are. Like my character, the feats are all familiar. The skills they get are all familiar and how they're applied. Uh, I still struggle to understand why there's an initiative role when you're doing like an action RPG. Because I don't see how that's really going to change things because <laughs> they're just going to cast spells when they cast them, I guess, or do abilities. I guess there is maybe like, you know, one maybe gets the act, gets to act first as soon as like you do make contact, but it still seems odd because it's not turn-based, which if there was an initiative role and it was turn-based, that would make sense that you go in order of initiative role. But since it's an action RPG and you get to run into it, there is a pause function just like there was in Baldur's Gate and Icewind Dale. uh, And like there is in like Dragon Age where you can pause the combat and assign orders to your character or your henchman if you have them. But Overall, it's an action RPG with rooted in D&D mechanics. So it's clunky. It definitely uh, isn't uh, the smoothest transition from PC to Switch. As uh, I'm sure we all remember the days of them trying to put like StarCraft and WarCraft on the PlayStation and hoping it would work properly. And it was slow and clunky and Mm -mm. not Mm -mm. the most enjoyable fluid experience. And this definitely harkens back to that. Outside of navigating UI, though, and uh, like your inventory and the menus and stuff, it's not so bad. Like getting around and getting into combat is actually fun. And once you kind of understand how to use your assigned like hot buttons and such, but it is you're basically diving down like submenu up beyond submenu of submenu of submenu to like get to the ability you want kind of thing and then hope that you triggered it because, uh, again, it's a clunky game. It's the first time I've ever had a Switch game uh, crash on me. That was funny. Ooh. Right? And uh, so, like, it was a random... I tried to talk to a random NPC, and it just was like, done. Uh, I've never seen it again since, but it was just... I was like, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. But again, I am i don't know Neverwinter's history, but I'm assuming it wouldn't be without its faults with in terms of the odd crash as PC games are wont to have. At least you didn't get a blue screen of death. That would have been weird. Well, exactly. No, it just uh, gave me some sort of error code, crashed down, relaunched it. I lost a bit of save progress, which was annoying because, again, I had just spent probably half an hour in menus figuring out how to sell equipment and buy new stuff. (laughs) So I had to go redo all that again, which was much faster having known how to do it. So it was a good learning experience if I want a silver lining it, but still, it's like, why? (laughs) Anyways. Uh, so I'm playing an Elf Paladin, which is a little off-brand for me, so that's been fun to kind of explore something different. All the other hallmarks uh, that makes those games great of, like, the character interactions, 
the using your skills to influence choices, you know, have someone who's good at persuasion so I can try and get some more information out of people or use my insight to, to glean more extra information. And like I said, the combat's pretty straightforward. It's very slow as uh, it would have been back then as well. There's no sort of like speed up or anything option. So combat is very clunky. And when you're, especially when you're at low levels and there's lots of uh, miss rolls, which is endemic of classic D&D, it's one thing when you have a whole party because every turn someone's bound to hit so things will move and feel more active. But in uh, when you're just kind of doing one-on-one or one against two or three other characters, it can it can really go on for a while as you and uh, a gang leader exchange misses for a good five minutes until you finally land enough hit point damage to kill them. <laughs> but all that being said, it like I said, it's a fun return to, to D&D. So I've been enjoying it well enough. And uh, it definitely hasn't, it shows its age. It's like I'm playing a Nintendo 64 game mm. on the Switch, which is a little fun. Uh, but the the enhanced edition does update the textures. So those are very crisp. Like the, the detail work that they've done, at least on like the faces and the expressions of these people, like it's, it's really well put together. It's just the models are very dated. So that's unfortunate. And uh, the interface of trying to interact with things, because... It is like over the shoulder, try and click on, like, I want to click on that door and interact with it and go and open it. Whereas you're trying to navigate that with the, the Joy-Con sticks and you try and attack an enemy, but then your car walks over to try and open a chest and you're like, no. And then you get an attack of opportunity against you and then you either get hit or damaged or you die or whatever. And it's just, it can be frustrating sometimes. So you got to really make sure you're on the right thing if you're going to play it more action RPG like. So I would recommend, uh, Playing with the pause button if you're going to uh, not want to have those user input errors. But we'll see. I'm very early on, and uh, I, I don't know how far I will need to go into it. Because obviously we have a review up of the original version. This is more just trying to take a look at this port and see how it handles. Uh, what did it get? Yeah, stick. Uh, I can't remember now. I got it. Got a 92. Exactly. Like this, those games had great stories, which is definitely the biggest draw. They had great stories, and the character interaction is solid. And with the, you know, PC wise, I think the gameplay would be pretty solid as well. Like, what did it get for a story? For story, it got an 80. Yeah, which that's above average storytelling, and that's kind of what you expect from a D&D game. It was always interesting trying to play D&D games, and, you know, D&D is great because it's kind of like the ultimate game where you can kind of do whatever you want. It is the ultimate open world experience if you have a good DM, and it's always interesting to, like, give that confines, but, you know, they had to go into a different market, and it is what it is, but these games do such a good job of giving you so many options to explore out that really each game you play should be different, especially if you pick different character classes and skills and such like that you'll get into different things like i am in, intensely frustrated every time i come across a chest that's locked and i'm like right i didn't take lock picking because i'm a paladin and I, it's not a thing i do and gosh darn it so that sort of stuff's frustrating and i'm trying to roleplay my character that he probably wouldn't associate with a uh a, like a random evil rogue so i don't really have one in my henchman crew at the moment even though i've met one that seemed too dubious for my goody two-shoes paladin to come into contact with so stuff like that. But it is good to know that I can smash them. It just takes a while. <laughs> but uh, nothing breaks inside. And uh, then I get sweet, sweet loot if I'm willing to put up with the patience and the damage reduction that uh, most objects have. But at any rate, it's it's a fun experience. I'm looking forward now that I've gotten used to the systems, used to 
getting through them like the learning curve of getting through the menus a bit more seamlessly is uh definitely making the experience actually enjoyable and it is fun having it on the go it's having it's fun having it on the switch it definitely weirdly suffers some performance issues it does lag a bit oddly enough in uh like when you're outside in the town and it's weird because there's no like sky to speak of because it is designed that you can kind of zoom out and play it like an isometric if you want but if you get right down zoomed in and you see the details and the action of the combat that's all good but there's no it's just like it fades to black or to blue above with a really really tight uh fog of war so there's not a big draw distance so it's surprising to me that the performance suffers but again i think that's just inherent in the original coding of it not initially not saying anything about problems with the switch or anything so it definitely shows its age it is not uh aged fantastically but once i set that aside and remember if I had played it at the time, I would have been marveled by this game. I would have marveled at this game. So if I set myself there, it's it's fun. Hmm. Awesome. I have to I have to admit, when it comes to games like that, maybe I am just biased and because I moved into PC gaming later on. But for D&D mechanics, uh, RPGs that are heavily with a lot of UI, you kind of need a keyboard and mouse. Not because, you know, a keyboard and mouse are better, yeah. but just because you need to be able to navigate through these menus quickly. And when you have like a couple of buttons and a d-pad it's not ideal it's not the same as having things keyed up to hot keys and being able to assign something to left click right click and yeah and like i said having the, the spacebar at hand quickly to pause and weigh your options and yeah it just makes it so much easier to be able to navigate and jump in and out of things you know they have a couple quick buttons assigned like you can press x to like open up the inventory but then moving around through things like you have your inventory open and like the, the shop open, for example. And in order to like sell things to the shop, you have to select the item and then it kind of picks it up in the inventory. And then you have to toggle over using the L or R button like twice to then have the shop menu be active. And then you can have the thing in there and then you can sell it and get your money for it. And again, it's so much quicker when you have a mouse that you can just pick up an item and quickly drag it up to something. Whereas you, it's never as fast and as smooth doing that with a joystick. Like no matter how high you crank up the sensitivity, it's just, it's not as precise and not the same as being able to just hover over it, click it with the mouse, quickly drag it up. It's just, everything is that much clunkier. I think that's, that's one of the things that makes a game like that unique in a way, because um, I remember the game of what I, I loved before uh, was a shadow run actually. And I, I have it for my steam library too. So I was like, what game was that? But those type of games where you just point and click and everything, it's kind of like a certain flavor of wine. It's like you, you you want it preferably on either like a PC or something else. And if it's on anything else, either you've played it before and you're like, eh, this isn't good. Or if you never played it before, you kind of like it. Like how people, I guess, really enjoyed, like myself, like Diablo 3 on a uh, console. Um, I'm sorry to anyone. I've upset people out there. I portrayed you guys in a PC Master Race. But it just felt nice. But those games that has like a D&D aspect to it, I, I I think it gives a lot of character to those games. And character in what way do you feel? A character is in it embodies those type of games. Like I, I can immediately look at that game. It's like, God, I really want to have a keyboard and mouse to play that game with and nothing else. Uh, Absolutely. And, yeah. So those type of games that it builds a character to like you can just look at the game. It's like that better be a keyboard and mouse game. I, I cannot play the game anything otherwise. And that's exactly, yeah, the kind of the issue I have with it. I mean, this just came out December 3rd, and the original came out in 2002, which, by the way, 2001 was Pool of Radiance, the, the newer one was ah. uh, Ruins of Myth Jornor, and I think it was like 
it was built in the same engine as like Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter, uh, not Neverwinter Nights, uh, Icewind Dale and such, but it was an isometric one. That's the gotcha. one I think I'm thinking of. At any rate, yeah, like all those games are very much of that era, and yeah, they, yeah, if it doesn't have a mouse and keyboard setup, then like, it, it's just it's this, it's it's like being a level two paladin with 14 strength and over 200 pounds of gear, and you're encumbered. So, <laughs> you know, to use the language of the game yeah it's just like if you want this kind of game experience you're probably better suited to just playing skyrim again because it's on everything (laughs) (laughs) at any rate it's still a fun experience and i am getting into it it's i like the world building so i'm excited to play this uh, gem that i missed out because i never got to play neverwinter nights so this is a good excuse to get into it But moving forward, getting this podcast finished, wrapped up, we had a listener question that I wanted to pose of you both because it actually kind of came up. Uh, Mayo on the Discord asked us uh, what we think about fan-translated games. Hmm. Uh, And I guess, how can we distill this down further? Like, fan-translated games, like, I don't think he necessarily just means, do you think, you know, the legality of it is good or bad, but... It's more just that, do you think they're good? Do you think they're doing a service to, yeah, like you said, back in the day with your romancing saga, there's a lot of gamers who would not have had the exposure to it if it wasn't for fans' translations. A lot of us would never have experienced now what's called Trials of Mana without that fan translation that we could all illicitly get our hands on once upon a time. There's a reason Solosi knows so much about it, and that's because he had access to that fan translation. I think for me, um, one of my first times that I had a fan translation, um, and this is not an RPG, so forgive me, but um, I'm a big Ace Combat fan out there. And there was I this, support you. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, there was a game called Ace Combat Electrosphere, which is Ace Combat 3. It never, it got a Western release. However, the game was butchered. It was severely thrown out the door. Uh, half the missions were gone. The translation was not even there anymore. But uh, some fans took many painstaking years to get this game to its rightful glory, uh, to a trans- trans- translation of it um, so that it's ported over here. And so when I played that, um, I, I, I felt like I was playing this real good game that I know that somebody who put a lot of love, a lot of faith in this game someone that really, really, really wanted to make sure that this game was uh, brought to the fans. Um, it, it felt wonderful. It felt nice and felt amazing to, to play this game. And I, I think for fan translations, it's it's by the fans for the fans. So at the end of the day, unless you have that one person that just, you know, reads a lot of fanfics and it's like, I want this person to sound like this and that, then yeah, it's going to be kind of crappy. But I think the overall goal is to bring it from an ultimate fan to the other fans so everyone could be happy once for once and that was project nemo yes yes it was like it was called and it's yeah like we had that big uh, proponent of voices even that was not so much doing the fan translation aspect but fighting to get those games over here back with um those three big games on the wii uh what was that organization call where they're basically getting petitions to get uh, xenoblade over here i remember was it the last story no it wasn't the last story yeah last, last story the last remnant last no no Pro- is it project dreamfall or something what the heck oh, oh never mind then uh not the game but the organization that was trying to do it project rainfall operation rainfall 
Operation was, Rainfall. Yeah, that's I was what right. It was. So it was and, uh, yeah. Xenoblade's Last Story and Pandora's Tower. That's the last one. Yes, Pandora's Tower is the one, which I have two of those three, I believe. Or, yeah, I think I have Last Story and Xenoblade. We got them all in the end, which is great. And yeah, I never had to get resorted over to fan translations. But without it, then I guarantee you people would have been hacking those Wii games and trying to make it available for ROMs and such. I mean, um, I, I would love to have a, I would love to have like a podcast long conversation about this uh, because there's so much to dig into. Um, and this ends like a, a place where Solosi would uh, tell us to uh, make a card for it for retro. I, I, might, I, might mention it, <laughs> I might mention it to him then. Because the problem for me, I have no problem with fan translations. I'm hugely supportive of them. It's very difficult to divorce them from emulation and piracy. Um, exactly. And that's the that's the real trick. And there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, moral questions there. Like, is it is it moral to play a game that was never released in the United States if it was never translated? Um, and I, I appreciate what you said about uh, in some ways it is fan fiction because I recall the is it Tales of Fantasia? There's a line and. Uh, feel free to beat me out here where uh, a character, the translation was uh, a character f***ed like a tiger. <laughs> That's uh, amazing. Was it Arch? Arch f***ed like a tiger? I bet she f***ed like a tiger. That was the line. And uh, and there's another scene in it where uh, one of the characters is having a sex dream very explicitly. And I guess at one point, I, I can't remember. I think she has an orgasm. Um, and that Was that the fan translation? That was in the fan translation. And the original oh was much tamer, apparently. Like the actual translation was very... It, it was it was kind of the same meaning like wow i bet she's i bet she's really fun right but the fan translation really pumped that up um that being said i there's an argument to be made that we never would have even gotten a copy of a, a official translation of tales of fantasia if it wasn't for that fan translation same thing with final fantasy 5 final fantasy 5 may never have been released on playstation 1 if squaresoft hadn't seen uh the passion of uh the fan translation that got released and thus the desire for people to want it and the market for them to make money on it exactly but that's the yeah, that's how i first played final fantasy 5 was a fan translation and i was all the happier for having access to it i was like how did i not ever know this existed oh man i remember playing final fantasy 5 as a kid and it was i think i was playing it on zsnes and they hadn't perfected transparency yet so the entire oh dear yeah, the entire uh ship uh, ship graveyard level was completely covered by just a a layer of sea that you couldn't see through. So I think I spent like a three or four days trying to navigate my way through these sections, not being able to see. And where they didn't I was have going. a layer that you could just turn off that uh, that one because that's the thing you can do with some options. But it was just tied into the background that you just couldn't turn. Well, it off. I know that now, but back then I was a I was I had no idea what was oh. going on. <laughs> So you probably could have, you just didn't know you could. If I could go back in time, I'd be uh, like, you idiot, that's just so press precious. one. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's so sad, but great. Um, I have, I have a piece coming out in a few weeks on RPG Fan that's, uh, I'm not going to, I'll tease it, but it's it's a piece very much about fan translations. Um, I'm fully... That's why I figured this would land well, yeah. I'm fully in favor of them. I think they're great if, uh, if there is no other way available to play the game. I have played some, I have had some amazing experiences playing games that I otherwise wouldn't, Ace Attorney fans uh, would know what I'm talking about with Ace Attorney Investigations 2. I can't remember the name of the team that translated it, but they did a an amazing job. And it felt very, very similar to what an official Capcom translation would be. It was very much in character. The sense of humor was there. Um, if a fan translation is done well with 
the spirit of the original, I'm hugely in favor. If a fan translation thinks, okay, I think I'm going to improve on this, or they want to put their own stamp on it, or uh, maybe this will be funny, even though it's not in the original script, that approach is more like fan fiction to me. That you're yeah. imposing your own uh, fan, well, fiction, onto something that already exists. That I'm not really comfortable with. I think that's one thing that some fan translations may suffer with. This is that they think they know the game better, and they think they know how the story is better. So when you have someone else's, like, I think this is what it should be like, it may ruin the tone, but that could also improve the tone. It just really depends on the person's perspective. And from what I understand, this is something that localizers struggle with too, especially when you get a lot of these games are based out of Japan, and uh, Japanisms don't always land here, and they have to struggle with how much do we keep in to culturally keep it uh, you know, where it was originated and to keep the world intact, but also make it relatable to outside of Japan audiences, right? Like, it's it's not an easy thing. And yeah, some people might take some full fan liberty to be like, I'm going to take everything Japanese, Chinese, whatever out of this and just fully make it North American just because I think that'll be better. I mean, I like jelly donuts. I don't know what anyone else does. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say that. Like, I, I know what you mean. Like, in many, in many uh, RPGs and translations, they... Uh, female characters are given about two extra years on their age if they're teenagers sometimes, as I understand it. I don't think I'm wrong about that. I don't think you're wrong either, because I, I, it's, it's either two or three years, because it makes it seem like they're not 13 or 14, they're like 16, 17. And it just becomes more appropriate for our culture, and that's something I'm hugely uh, in favor of, um, because otherwise it becomes a little bit, in our cultural context, a little bit, yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, I'm super looking forward to next year when my daughter turns 10 and she's like, so I get my Pokemon now, right? I get to leave the house. <laughs> that's adorable. Yeah, I mean, again, that's the kind of fan translation, like going back to Tales of Fantasia. Uh, it was an SNES game released at the end of its uh, the end of its life. The car- the, the line, she, I think she f***ed like a tiger, would not have appeared in SNES game. Um, Nintendo standards and practices certainly wouldn't have allowed it. Um Probably would have been on the Sega, though. Sega does what Nintendo don't. Sega's edgy. <laughs> I'm not sure Sega's that edgy. <laughs> but you were saying, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of, but it's 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 a matter of tone. I remember playing that translation and going, whoa, very similar to, what was it, an adorable otter calling somebody a dick? Exactly. Yeah, it just makes you go, what the hell? Um, it, it's like, some of it's contextual, and yeah, that when it leans so far, it's like... All right, let's reel back in a bit because you were in the route. There's a, there's a certain realm of believability where, you know, you've established the level of cussing. You've established the level of severity or whatever. And if all of a sudden the game goes extreme with it out of nowhere and then never relates back to that again. Yeah, it stands out and almost uh, puts a bad taste in your mouth for it. Yeah. So I think it, it when it comes to fan translations, I'm afraid it kind of has to do with what fans are translating it, the reasons why they're translating it. I mean, there's a lot of ROM hacks, which I think are, I think ROM hacks are amazing. One of my favorite things is uh, Legend of Zelda randomizers. They're just, yeah, they're just so much fun Mm. and they bring so much life to it. And the fan community's passion and creativity when unleashed on classic video games, it it makes them new. It brings... Uh, it brings them well, back. That's why we got Super Mario Maker. Exactly. And this is also the reason why we got like uh, like Sonic Mania too, where that that right there was oh right, like a pure fan thing. And Sega was like, "Go ahead, 
And that that was amazing. That's an amazing game. Yeah, and I mean, on the other side of that, Nintendo, like Sega saying that was amazing, but literally on the opposite side, almost the exact same situation, Nintendo shutting down uh, AM2R, uh, another Metroid 2 remake, um, after it was released. Yeah. And I understand... And whatever that um, uh, Pokemon game, like uh, Plutonium or the, the green, the, the whatever it was. Yeah, I, I, I know. And I completely understand why they shut down another Metroid 2 remake, because they were releasing their own uh, Metroid 2 remake... Uh, at yeah, the t- like a couple years uh, later. Yeah, which was solid. But have you guys played the AM2R? No, so- uh, I no. didn't actually. Oh, I, I feel like I, I feel like I vaguely remember that being mentioned, but I don't know much about it's it. It's amazing. Um, if you love if you love Metroid, if you love uh, like Metroids on Super Metroid and the Metroids on the Game Boy Advance, download another Metroid Two remake if you can find it, um, because it's a work of fan passion that is on the level of Nintendo and feels very true to everything that was uh, that was in Metroid. There's nothing in that game that made me go, oh, this is a fan's interpretation of uh, this with their own wish list of what they, they wish Metroid was. It feels like a Nintendo-quality remake. I like it more than uh, I like it more than Samus Returns, to be completely honest. Ooh. Huh. Shots fired. Samus solid. Not that Metroid 2 is... Not that Samus Returns is a bad game. Um, it's just... I, I this is better yeah, yeah. it's, no, it's, it's better and uh, the fan who made it it did an amazing job and nintendo looked at that and they didn't see any value in it and i think that sega when they looked at the uh, the rom hacking and sonic mania people and they said there's value there we want to use that i think that's smart and i think that's uh using fan passion is the way to go yeah and i think one last last thing sorry um uh, yeah, one last thing. It's just that with like how Sega versus Nintendo, I think Nintendo uh, looks after IPs like like a really protective mother in every way. So if you try to do something with Nintendo, they're gonna like shutting it down. But for like other stuff that hasn't done that well, let's just say Sonic and like in the the infamous Sonic 06, where Sonic really could couldn't just come out with a really good game, and yet the fans came up with all this stuff, and Sega was like, which I know is owned by a subsidiary of with like Nintendo, but they're like. Well, let's give it a shot. So I think if they, as in the developers, they're not doing so hot, but these people, the fans, the the translators, these 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 people that may have not earned a cent by doing this, comes out and puts something out. And if the big corporations see that, I really think they would want to adapt that. If their if their own brand, their own IP is not, or if anything, it's struggling. I, I, I we've seen it before, but it, it was just one of those moments that if a certain IP is not doing so great and they need some refreshing, maybe new pair of eyes that the company barely had to work with. will take it over and, you know, good things can happen. I agree. Yeah. Uh, but I also think that there is, I mean, I think we're all in agreement that to an extent, the fan communities and the fan, the fans that like support these games uh, can be remarkable, uh, can be remarkable uh, sources of uh, creativity and just going mm-hmm. back to, well, Bethesda, um, the reason why uh, the reason why Fallout Four is still a great experience is because and Fallout New Vegas and Fallout Three and uh, and uh, all of the and the rest of their games is because they invited the fans in and fans modded and fans created new experiences based in this world that felt true to the original game and mm-hmm. I feel like that's something that Bethesda has lost. Um, and I feel like if they if they were ever if they wanted to get that back, if they could fully embrace that, they might actually be able to recapture some of what they uh, used to have. 
and I agree with you 100% about Nintendo uh, being very protective of their franchises. Um, that's, I mean, Nintendo's infamous for it. Yeah, exactly. But I doubt they'll ever change, unfortunately, so to speak. I mean, it's, it's, it's fortunate there's goods and bads to it all, which is a whole different discussion. At any rate, thank you for uh, fielding that question to us, Mayo. Thank you guys for having some really insightful thoughts on it. And yeah, I agree. Let's make that um, Retro Encounter episode about fan translations happen because there is a, a lot to unpack here. Uh, and I do not disagree on that. Uh, Jeremy Arthur wrote into the podcast and I just wanted to say thanks on the show as well for uh, your feedback. Uh, he was very keen on when I had Pete leave it on here uh, not too long ago talking about Fire Emblem stuff and... Uh, he wants to hear a Fire Emblem genealogy of the Holy War discussion. So uh, I think that's a game that should be visited on uh, Retro Encounter sometime with Pete at the helm, perhaps. And uh, as I said to him in my response to his email, check out episode 154 of Retro Encounter if you wanted to uh, hear a lot more about Fire Emblem. Any Fire Emblem fans out there, they uh, discuss at length uh, a whole gamut of Fire Emblem topics in there. So that's the one to see. And yeah, Pete will likely be back on here. Because uh, I like having return guests, whether they're new or not. So, hint, hint, Kyle, come back. Jono, thanks for coming back. My pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. My pleasure. We're going to shut this thing down. Remember, like I just plugged, Retro Encounter is a thing. Mike Solosi and the team are playing old things, talking old concepts, and just convincing about games in a very different way than we do here at Random. And uh, check out his growing catalog of episodes over at uh, rpgfan.com we still have rhythm encounter kicking around if you like game music from uh, the rpg genre uh you can go listen to back episodes of that and of course if you have any feedback like what jeremy threw at me uh you can message us at podcast at rpgfan.com and aside from that you hope uh you know Y'all field some more questions at us. I like getting uh, questions to get in there, and I'll keep trying to prompt you fans as well for them because it makes for some, as you heard, interesting discussion. Uh, I don't think there's anything else I'm missing. Uh, I'll talk about all the other latest goings on at the beginning of the episode, which you've already heard. It's just weird talking about it because I do it after I record the episode. So now I'm in a weird uh, time loop, and it's going to explode. No, I'm kidding. Anyways, uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. For myself, for Jono, for Kyle... Uh, y'all come back now, you hear? Love to. I will. Bye! So if there's like an 80% steam, steam, if there's like an 80% steam sale, I can't say that.